Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. Today, I'm really excited to invite Emily Dunkley, who is incredibly passionate and enthusiastic about all things learning. Very contagious with her um, enthusiasm for this particular topic. Today, we're going to be looking at learning to learn and what Emily means by this phrase. It's something I know we've talked about a lot. So, um, Emily is the L&D partner for HDI Global Specialty and Hanover Re. This particular topic is one we end up falling into conversation on pretty much every time I think we talk. Um, So I thought this would be a great one to to focus on with you. So we're talking about learn to learn. Do you want to tell us first of all what that means? Yeah, so this um, was something that I actually came across through um, watching various podcasts and talks that I just love. Um, And it was saying that in the learning profession, The reason that a lot of our interventions that we spend a lot of time kind of planning and designing and putting in place, the reason that they fall flat is that people haven't yet learned how to learn. So we're in a kind of age where technology is fast moving, fast changing. We expect things now. The demand um, is really there. Um, But there's such a wealth of information that we often don't know where to start, how to get going with our learning journeys. Um, We kind of don't know why we should learn, um, where to specialise it or whether to be more broad. And so we're kind of thrown so much information and so much differing information. It can be really hard to unpick that and work out where to start. So learn to learn was something that just kept cropping up for me and made me think that we've got to consider the fact that people learn differently and have different learning styles, but they've also got to understand why they should learn and feel compelled to learn. So we kind of started to look at the behavioural bits around that, around why learn and how can we learn? So learning to learn. Excellent. And I guess as we listen to this, the first decade of our lives, we're spending lots of time learning. Um, second, second decade for a lot of us that stay in education for longer. And then we hit the workplace and things become a little bit different. So how does this fit in with your role as an and partner? In terms of the journey of learning through and how it starts to slow, Yeah, I think life gets busy. So we start to have to then juggle things like home life, family life, social life, different responsibilities. Um, So the time for learning can become a real challenge. So part of my challenge within work is how do we make learning accessible on the employee's terms? So how do we make it so that you don't have to turn up for that day of training, that whole day out of your diary, or you don't have to you know, log in at that specific time for that webinar. Um, how do we make it instantly accessible, available 24-7, um, so that really it puts the power back in the individual's hands to say, that's when I learn best, that's when I have time. Um, and so we have to really start thinking about those barriers to learning and how we can break some of those down. And in terms of the mindset of learning, I think people get to a point in their career often where it feels comfortable, we feel safe, we feel secure, and there isn't really much sort of more ambition to kind of go further. You know, in our 20s, we kind of have all of this ambition, we're out of school, and we want to kind of do something with it. But you know, 
things get in the way of that over time and we, you know, life gets tiring um, and that sort of same buzz for learning does sort of start to dwindle. And we see that a lot of the time that, um, you know, our training courses are booked up with the younger generation and that other people are kind of like, well, you know, what's the point now? Um, so trying to instill this idea of lifelong learning um, and lifelong self-led learning um, has become part of our mission and what we're trying to achieve. And just to to play that phrase back to you, so what's the point now? What would be your argument for that? Why not? (laughs) Because when we learn, um, it just opens up so many other opportunities, possibilities. It increases our confidence. um, And, you know, with the world changing so fast, we don't want to get left behind. And if we're not trying to keep up with that in an avenue that we're passionate about, um, we kind of become a bit irrelevant because the information that we're drawing upon was relevant when we knew it and when we learned it. But now there's new information that challenges that or there's somebody that has a differing opinion. And if we're not keeping up with that, we're not keeping our skills current and relatable to the market that we sit in now. Yeah, I think sometimes we look at learning as though it's a chore, it's an extra thing that has to go on top of the job. But actually, it's one of our, our main motivators. So um I've sort of talked talk quite often about how if you've got a toddler and you take them into someone else's house, they're always going to want to use the toilet because they're curious. So we're like naturally curious over over different things out there. And and that desire doesn't necessarily go as we get older. We just kind of fall out of the habit of it. So actually looking at things for the first time, learning about new things, find out what happens when you press the big bread button, then we get motivation from that, which will make us you know, feel the, feel better, feel like we've got more energy that we can apply then into the role. Absolutely. And it's empowering. It's empowering to learn new skills and to learn new information and to take that into conversations with people and be able to kind of have that kind of thing in common that you're both learning about or that you heard about. And it's really empowering. And I think um, it's something that yeah, we redefining the why learn piece has been big for us. But actually, in doing it, um, you can really suddenly see people go, oh, okay, yeah, like, actually, I did enjoy that. And I, that did make me feel good. And I did look at something differently. And through that repetition of feeling good when you learn, I think we can get people hungry for learning again. So you mentioned barriers, and you mentioned a couple of barriers you come across. What What other kind of common holdbacks do you see from people yeah so time is the biggie like I hear it all the time day in day out I just don't have time or I'm always working to a deadline or it's just really busy at the moment um and that is not going anywhere and I think we're increasingly going to find that we are in roles that um demand more of us and more of our time um and I think when that is a really valid barrier and so what I have tried to do is think about how we can make learning bite-sized so that we're not necessarily looking for these big chunks of our day, but a couple of minutes. Um, And then how do we bolt those onto our existing habits so that it becomes habitual and we just do it without thinking about, oh, it's another pressure, I've got to make time for learning. Um, We're already doing something else. So for a good example of this is every morning when I'm getting ready, I'll pop on a TED Talk or um, a a motivational video on YouTube. Just for five or 10 minutes, I'm already doing something else, but my ears could be listening to something. Um, If I'm making a cup of coffee, I have a LinkedIn learning account. Um, I'll put a two-minute part of a course on while I'm making the cup of coffee and I'll listen to it. And I think a lot of the challenge I get around that is, but is it really going in? And, uh, you know, if we're not focused 
100% on the learning, how much of that is really going in. And it's more than you think, that subliminal learning, that kind of just hearing it and that repetition of messaging, um, it does go in, but also it piques your interest. And I think at any point that you think, oh, did I just hear that? And you might want to go back to that. Um, that's that's enough if that's all you got from that two minutes, but it sort of made you stop and think and want to explore further. That's enough for that learning journey and that that small part of that learning journey to have been purposeful. So um, that's the barrier of time. And that's how we kind of tend to overcome it. Um, you know, in terms of other barriers, I think we're seeing like things like training used to be considered really expensive. It was so expensive to learn, but there is so much free content and free resource out there now that I really think that a lot of these barriers are being brought down around us. I think often it's that self-confidence to say, what is it that I want to learn and just do it, just get it started, make it a habit. Um, and I think very quickly you can find that you've you've learned a lot more than you would have done if you hadn't even just taken that first step. Um, another one is about the wealth of information. And this is one I struggle with because I have a reading list of books that people have recommended to me that's so long and I feel like I've bought them all and they're all sitting in a library and that can feel really overwhelming at times when we think, oh, I'm just never going to get time to read them all. Um, so actually sometimes just planning your learning ahead for like the month ahead and saying like, okay, I'm going to focus on this area Here's some things that will help me with that. Here's a podcast. Here's some two-minute content. Here's some five-minute content, 15, 30. Here's bits. So if I have an hour, I could read. But actually just having it there lined up, planned out, ready to go, so that all you have to do is tap into it when that time is available versus sitting at your computer when you're ready to learn and wasting the hour trying to find what it is that you want to learn. So just being a little bit more proactive about planning it can really help as well. So I just found some some new time this weekend um, for listening to podcasts because I tend to listen to podcasts in the evening because uh, that's the time the kids are in bed so I can have that undisrupted <laughs> time. But I I just discovered I've got this time that I hadn't really recognised before when they're watching Peppa Pig, for example. Usually I'll just sit on my phone and scroll through my phone because obviously I'm not really going to engage that much in Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> so I've just started putting in podcasts and just putting one um, AirPod in. So I've got one ear free I can kind of engage in the conversation but I've also got that kind of background noise is actually something that's uh interesting to me rather than the tv in the background and I listened to four podcasts yesterday like back without um anyone even noticing that I was doing it <laughs> so, yeah so I was quite quite pleased and I think that's going to be part of my regular sort of Sunday afternoon schedule now and when, when there's nothing on the tv yeah. I mean, I've done it with workouts before. I've actually listened to podcasts while I'm working out and think, you know, this is half an hour of my time that I'm exercising. But I also know that I really want to be learning about something at the time I was prepping for a presentation and I just wanted to get a bit more confidence. So just multitasking that and being able to listen while I'm working out. Um, it's amazing how much of it does go in that you think won't because it's that idea of, oh, well, I'm doing one thing. How can I possibly pay attention? But this old school kind of view of learning, of having to be quiet and sitting at your desk and with a pen and paper and being able to take extensive notes, that's kind of gone now. It, it is more about that experiential learning and just hearing things and just being immersing yourself in it. Um, so I love that. And I'll definitely be doing that the next time we've got Paw Patrol on in our house <laughs> rather than Peppa Pig. I'll definitely pop the podcast in. That's a great tip. So um, one of the things I think we're kind of conscious of as well is we're both quite enthusiastic and uh, talk about this stuff, though. Why is everyone else not doing it? 
But the reality is, I think for a lot of people, it might sound um, just a bit too much, a bit too intense to, to be sort of fitting all of this in on top of everything else. Where's the gaps? Where's the me time around it? So what would be your response for that? Yeah, and I agree. And I think it, I'm in a really fortunate position, as you are, Sam, that this is my job. It's my job to be passionate about learning. So I'm lucky um, in that respect. But, you know, it hasn't always been that way. I haven't always been in this career and I can completely empathise when people feel like that's just another thing that you're adding to my plate and it's so overwhelming. Um, and I think my advice would be start small and start realistic and just let it be something that you do as me time. So instead of framing it as something that is another thing that you have to do, another chore, another item on the to-do list, frame it as me time, frame it as giving back to yourself and just make it, you know, I think the smallest challenge you can set yourself on LinkedIn learning um, is 10 minutes a week. You know, for me, that's a TED talk. So if I just listen to one TED talk a week, set that as your learning challenge. And when you do it, see how it makes you feel. And if you enjoyed it and what you got from it, um, and very quickly, it doesn't become that chore, that extra thing on the to-do list. It becomes that thing you look forward to, that treat for yourself. Um, and it's amazing, since doing it, how many conversations I actually feel like I've had with people that you think, gosh, if I hadn't listened to that, watched that, read that, I wouldn't have known what I was talking about in that situation. And yet here I am holding my own in a conversation about a topic that, you know, six months ago, wouldn't have known anything about. And it's really empowering when you do it like that. And I think just start small is is what my advice would be to anybody that's kind of feeling in that overwhelmed state at the moment with learning. And you've mentioned some resources. Um, so for example, LinkedIn Learning, which I know lots of employers offer to, to their staff. So hopefully lots of people listening to this podcast will have access to that, but not everyone will. So where would you suggest people go if they don't know where to start? Yeah, so Mind Tools is a really great kind of LinkedIn learning equivalent that has a subscription fee, but also offers a lot of free content. So that's a great place to go. YouTube is fantastic. There are people that make their living on YouTube by sharing uh, resources and educational materials. TED Talks are fantastic. They're so short and inspiring. that You get a lot from them. They're really credible as well. Um, podcasts are fantastic. We've mentioned those already, but they are free. Um, you know, you can access them now through so many different channels, be it Spotify, Apple Music. Like there's just so many different ways of accessing Apple Podcasts. Uh, sorry, Apple Podcasts, not Apple Music. So many different ways of accessing this content. And good old Google. Um, you know, if you've got a question, a specific learning need, going to Google and being as specific as you can with what it is you need to learn about, there are white papers that you can download for free if you sign up for an email subscription. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many of those I've got that I've just gone and wanted a very specific answer to a question, popped it into Google, and then the B, and sometimes if you just put the letters PDF afterwards, you're kind of filtering out articles and specifically looking for white papers and workbooks and those kind of things. And um, the other advice is Google images. Now, not a lot of people think about this when they're looking for something, but sometimes you just want to see a one pager or a snapshot or a glossy leaflet or something. If you just put what you're looking at, and but then look search under Google images instead of the text, it's quicker. You can access sort of shorter, 
more bite-sized manageable learning in the images section than you can if you didn't have time to read a whole paper. I've I've been able to find models of learning that I've used in my in my work. I've been able to find the seven habits of successful people rather than reading the book. I found a one pager that I've printed off stuck, you know, up on my fridge or somewhere that I can see it all the time. And um, so Google Images is a great place to look as well, not not somewhere people often think to look, but there's so much information out there. But as I say, planning that and setting yourself aside half an hour when you go and find all of the all the resources, make yourself a little sort of library or folder or document folder or something somewhere so that when you've got that time, that five minutes, you just tap into that rather than tapping into the World Wide Web, which can feel overwhelming. No, I like that. I think um, certainly Google Images is something that, that I do a lot. I hadn't really consciously thought about it until you said that. That's a sensible thing to, to tell other people to do. Um, <laughs> Books is one for me. I, I order lots of books and I don't read them all. Um, I've got certain ones I love. And if I've got a new topic that I'm training on, for example, I'll definitely read a few different books around it. But I also fall into this trap of every time someone recommends a book, I'm ordering it. So I have a stack uh, a stack of books. In fact, I ordered two yesterday. <laughs> so, so it's kind of trying to get through those. And I guess what I really do with them is I don't always read the whole book. And I think that's okay. No, um, there's quite often some crossover between these books when they're on different topics. It's quite often a fresh way of, of maybe articulating it, but a lot of the kind of sort of themes are consistent with other books you've read in the past as well. So for me, sometimes sort of two thirds of the way through the book, I feel like I've got what I need from it and then put it down and, and move on to another one and maybe one day come back to it, but not feel like, you know, sort of feeling like you've understood a theory by reading a whole book front to cover. I don't think is necessarily an expectation we need to kind of set on ourselves. Um, on the other hand, there's books that I've read multiple times because I love them and every time I read them, I get something new from it. Um, but they're not always, you know, they're not always for us. So that kind of pressure to read everything no. we order, I think is um, probably a bit of a burden on us. Audible books has really helped me with that because, again, it's that being able to multitask. If you read a book, you have to be sitting and concentrating on reading the book. But if you put an Audible in, you can go for a walk, you can go and do other things, um, you can be putting the washing on while you're listening. So I found Audible books has been a game changer for actually getting me through books um, in a shorter space of time without me losing interest in the book. There are also apps and things available now where you can get sort of synopsis, like it will take a whole content of a book and give you just like the key takeaways. Um, they're on a subscription fee, but you can also get go onto YouTube. They're great for that. People giving book reviews of what they got from it, or here's five things. You, a lot of people do these illustrations now where they bring the concepts to life with pictures. So if you're a visual learner and you're not getting that from a book, but you still want to understand the principles, go to YouTube and look up that book and find other people talking about it and, and using imagery. Um, so it's just things like that, playing around, understanding your learning style, how you learn best. So mine is definitely bite size and it's definitely not reading. I'm much more about the listening, the watching, the viewing um, and being sort of immersing myself in it. So figure out what kind of learner you are and what content you're naturally drawn to and then start to sort of dip your toe in that pool, I think. And how would you suggest people figure out just based on what they enjoy or where they recall things? Yeah, what makes you feel good? Like what when you do it doesn't feel chore-like? So for me, reading, it just feels like I have to take a deep breath before it. I have to kind of get myself in the space to read. And I often know that it's not productive for me because I'll read a chapter. And then when I sit down to read 
the next time I'm sitting there, I have to go back and read that chapter again because I don't know where I'm at. It hasn't gone in. I'm not really sure. Whereas I don't need to do that with, with when I'm listening or when I'm watching something. Um, a lot of people nowadays are more visual learners um, in terms of seeing pictures and imagery. And I think that's because technology has taken us there. We expect to see, you know, the Netflix and the Amazon Primes. We're, we're very much sort of consuming things that way now. So I think our brains are evolving that way. Um, but really, whatever makes you feel good go with that because if it's if there's resistance to it you're not going to make it make it a habit you're not going to come to that again you're going to do it once it will check the box and then probably never pick it up again um so yeah just immerse yourself in what feels I think good as well if we take this back to the workplace um and thinking back to your sort of push back the barriers sometimes of um I'm kind of done there's nothing I need to learn now um I feel like this is the year we can't say that because if we think back to March last year, everyone had to relearn essentially how to do their job. You know, we work in a face-to-face market. So to some extent, you know, and, and for most people in all the places, the job's changed overnight, whether it's the systems that we use, the way we're talking, knowing how to get comfortable using Zoom, sharing PowerPoint slides over presentation kind of formats and, and all these kind of things that you know, they're not necessarily complicated when we look back on it now. But at the time, to have that much to learn in that quick a period of time was, you know, quite a lot. And I think, um, if, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, if anyone disagrees with me on this, but I think all of us have learned some tools that we will absolutely keep with us going forward and will make our lives easier going forward. But if we were talking about this 18 months ago, you know, I would probably have said to you, you know, I don't need to learn how to do training on Zoom because, I you know, I'm in a face-to-face market. Why would I need that? I would have very confidently, ignorantly told you that's where I thought about it. And then fast forward all this time and knowing how to use all of this, how much help it's actually providing for us. Um, so I think sometimes with learning, we kind of assume that we know what we need to know because we don't know what else is out there. I can remember actually um, someone I used to work with, she... She uh, came up with a, an idea um, at the beginning of a training course. You know, you ask people, like, do you know what the world looks like? Do you know what the map of the world looks like? And people are like, yeah, yeah, I know what that looks like. And then give them a blank piece of paper and they go, off you go, draw it. No, and the reality is we all kind of know what it looks like, but very few people can actually kind of piece that together because we don't have that level of knowledge. We don't need that level of knowledge, potentially. We know where to go for things. Um, but I think it's a nice example of where we think we know everything, but actually there's so much out there that we don't know that we're not going to find out until these situations come up. So hopefully, um, and we'll see see what happens kind of over time, but hopefully I think there's a few people a bit more brought in to learning new skills because of this. And maybe it's something we can kind of reiterate as a message to get people remembering, remembering that, how little we knew before about this and how helpful it is for us now. So that when we're back in the workplace, maybe there's some other skills we can um, start encouraging that maybe historically people would have told us they don't need to know it for their job we definitely need to reframe learning in that way like how you just mentioned it there I think is so true that you know we think we know what we need to know and there's almost like a pride in that but also this fear of being able to express openly that we don't know everything that we need to know and whether that is a failing or a weakness um, we saw this recently when we asked people to do personal swats do a SWOT analysis of um, their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Um, And it's a great little template that you can use to very quickly work out where you're at and where you need to be focused and how to leverage your strengths, but also how to start working on addressing some of your development areas. 
And the people found it very easy, actually, to write down like what they was, you know, their strengths were um, because they felt that it was their time to sort of showcase themselves. But they were very reluctant to be forthcoming with their weaknesses and the things that were potential threats to that. Um, and it's not because they didn't think that they had things to work on, but they felt that by saying it out loud, it meant they weren't good at their job or that they, you know, that there was something wrong um, that put them at risk. And I think the minute that we can say, that's not the case, like we all have things that we need to be working on. And the more that we're open with them, then it just shows that the self-awareness is there. And actually people can help you on that journey to get better in that area. Um, and for those people that are more honest about like, this is where I'm really not great. It's amazing how much support you get with that from people and how much people actually preempt that for you and are kind of mindful of that for you versus them penalizing you for it. So I think the minute we can all get comfortable with saying, hey, we've all got stuff to learn. It doesn't matter what stage of our career we're at, we can get to the very top table there's still stuff to learn there. Um, and the minute we can get comfortable with that and it not be a pride thing, I think we'll all feel much more, um, inc- the journey, the learning journey becomes much more inclusive and it feels like it's role modelled from the very tops of organisations. It's so powerful when you've got, you know, MDs and directors who are saying like, oh, I read this book or I watched this video and I learned this this week, like take a watch. Like that's, that it, with the uptake for that, is so much higher than anything I could push out in a learning role. Of course, I'm pushing out learning content. That's my job. But the minute, you know, for people that are in senior positions, start sharing this stuff um, and and genuinely doing it yourself. And it's so powerful the impact that that has on other people. So I think if we can all get comfortable with the fact that we're not perfect, we've all got things we can work on, um, that was one of those barriers to learning removed then because we can actually just get on focusing rather than focusing on trying to hide it, we could just get focused on how we address it. I can always remember as a, a, a kid, what's the difference between a smart man and a wise man? You heard that one? So a smart man knows right. everything and a wise man knows nothing. Yeah, I, can, I can remember that. Like it's always stuck with that. me for life. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, if you assume you already know everything, then you're going to be closing yourself off for, a, for other opportunities. Whereas wisdom comes from always yeah. being curious and always wanting to know more. And we are, and the and the thing is, like you said, with the pandemic, we are all learning. Everybody is learning. It's just whether we call it that. And let's just remove some of that stigma of like needing to learn and just get on and and do it because um, our survival in the workplace um, and just in life relies on it. You know, there's so many things that we just learn on the job and through, but just label it as that, and and also. By doing that, you can celebrate the successes when they come because you know that you weren't where you were. If you're not taking stock of where you are and where you need to get to and working out that journey, then you're not celebrating it the other side either. So it just feels like you're on the hamster wheel of going round and round and round and continually learning, but you're not stopping to go, wow, like a year ago... I wouldn't have been able to like do, like you say, do meetings on MS Teams and put people in breakout areas. And wow, like what a long way I've come in that area. And let's keep going with that. Um, So yeah, I definitely think we need to just see learning as something we're all doing and and something positive versus learning being something that you do when you're, you don't know the answer or when you're not good at something. Yes, if 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 anyone's listening to this and now, um, inspired thinking all right go on then I'll give it a go uh, what are your your best recommendations so your favorite <laughs> books podcasts or TED talks you recommend to people who are curious to start oh my goodness 
There are so, so many. Um, I am a big fan of the book uh, by Jack Canfield, The Success Principles. That book really spoke to me. It's in, why I love it, it's in bite-sized chapters. So you can read one chapter and then let that marinate for a month and just go away and think about that. And when you come back, you don't have to reread it because they're just, you can read each chapter as it's relevant to you. It's like a dip in book. So it's really great. But there's so much in there about shifting the mindset, um, which I love. And about, and the first principle in the book is take 100% accountability. And I think once you get comfortable with these kind of big, bold ideas, but then you can see how they would work practically and the benefit that that can bring to your life, you get hungry for more of that. So that book was the book that got me hungry when it comes to learning um, and shifting mindsets and the behavioral kind of science behind learning. So I think that one was a great one. Um, the Power of Why, I think it's called by Simon Sinek. He's got, he's got done it a couple of times, the same talk. There's a TED talk on it. That was a game changer for me. Um, really simple, um, kind of got what I needed in about 10, 15 minutes. But it's all about that purpose that finding your why why do we do things the driving force um that was a game changer and i just love ted talks what would you say to people what's your your style with this if you you listen to a ted talk you love by someone who's written a book on it do you tend to then go and read the book or do you tend to think i got what i needed from this that's enough for me do you know what i watch a few podcast ted talks of things by the same person before i invest in books because books aren't my natural learning style um i've got to really feel like there's something missing from the content that's out there in my learning style before i'll go and get the book so often i will just immerse myself in in that person and, and their teachings first um and then it gets to a point where i'm like okay like and if especially if it keeps referencing the book and oh and in the book you get more then i'll go to the book but yeah i definitely kind of utilize a lot of the free stuff out there first and then wait till my interest is at a point where I think I would sit down and read that book now because I that voice and that and what they're saying they have my attention if they don't have my attention I know I'm not going to read so I pulled book. away from you there so you've got uh, power of success um Simon mm-hmm. Sinek is there a third one the power of why the success principles yet yeah, we um Brené Brown so this is a really interesting one and not one that comes up a lot in the corporate world um but I think we will see a shift of that um it's about vulnerability she did a, a podcast with Oprah um and I just think that this is what um society is crying out for at the moment is just this idea that we can just lean in we always say about like this idea that just lean into it you don't have to jump from where you are into another space just lean into it just you know kind of nudge towards it and she talks about that in the terms of vulnerability and about it's about that risk taking and getting in the arena and just you know going for it and I think so often I see it especially in work with people's careers that where you want to be we don't get there or we don't get there in the time frame that we could because we're too afraid to even vocalise that we want to be there because we sort of feel like we've just got to be humble and sit in our space and not stretch outside of our space too much. Um, But actually, once you put it out there and you're just vulnerable and say, this is me and this is where I am and this is where I want to get to, it's amazing how people respond to that around you and start going, oh, you're into that. Oh, well, I know somebody or, oh, you should watch this. And all of a sudden, all of these opportunities um, and resources and this network becomes available to you because you took that first step to vocalize what it is that you want or what what it is that you're going after. Um, but so often 
we don't say it and we just sit with it and it's sort of niggling away inside of us, but we don't just put ourselves out there. So Brené Brown is a fantastic one for just making us feel like why it's so important to just be a bit more vulnerable with people, with ourselves, like just in life. Um, and yes, yeah, that was one of those ones that was like, oh, wow, like game changer for me. So, um, and one that I'm starting to try to plug through as a sort of subliminal messaging in some of my corporate content that we put um, in front of people, this idea of the self and the why, and because it's so important um, and it's it's part of that behavioral piece about how do we drive behaviors towards people wanting to do more learning. Um, and it's by, it's through this stuff, this stuff that actually makes them think, wow, I could use this not just at work, but in my home life, in my relationships, in my friendship, like anything like that, that learning can sort of have touch points through all the different areas of your life. I mean, so bad. That five minutes has suddenly just become so valuable that you spend. So yeah, really recommend stuff like that. I agree with that. I think, um, so SDI, so the strength deployment inventory, something we, we use a lot. Um, so it's a psychometric. If you've not come across that one, lots of different psychometrics, SDIs out there is, uh, one that looks at you on a good day, but also when things go wrong. And I always say to people when we're training on that, use this at home, like because you're your true self really at home. You're also more likely to have conflict at home um, and you're going to know people better at home. So it's uh, if you kind of can learn the theory and apply it better to yourself outside of work, it becomes a lot easier, more natural to do that when you're at work as well. Yeah. Yeah. And SDI is a great one because knowing yourself is the first point start starting point in that learning journey you know we can immerse ourselves in the things we're drawn to we're normally drawn to the things that inspire us because it is tapping into that where am I not feeling confident but I think when it comes to something like SDI some people would have heard of Myers-Briggs there's loads of different things out there that kind of profile you and like where your preferences are um and and how you act in conflict and all of these different things Seeing that on paper is so empowering because you kind of know it and it's there, but you spend a really long portion of your time hiding that from people and thinking like, gosh, don't let them see, don't let them see. And then once it's on paper, the relief that came with that, and you know, I've done both SDI and Myers-Briggs, but from both of them, they were just absolutely on the money. And once it was on paper, I thought, okay, there's no getting away from it. I thought this of myself. Now I can see it of myself. Let's just share this about myself and, and get on and do something with this now. And it's so empowering. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think most of my favourite books are classics. You know? So um, I think the ones you've just listed there are mostly quite quite modern ones, but my favourite tends to be the oldest. So um, Del Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you recommended any that of one my courses? Me. Yeah, always <laughs> recommending that one. It's like, it's, you know, it's over 100 years old, that book, but it's so relevant. You know, it has been updated, of course, over years, but um, I think it's so powerful. It really gets you to understand how to sort of form a pool with people, but also the common mistakes that we all make, and a bit like you were describing in one of your books there, it is bite-sized, you can just read one chapter at a time. But I, I think it's impossible to read that book and not kick yourself for things that you do all the time and go, of course I shouldn't do that. Why do I do that? <laughs> it just it just puts it across in such a kind of humorous way. Um, so I, I love that one. That's one I've read four times. Um, then I'd probably say Stephen Covey, but if I'm honest with Stephen Covey, I think the book's really hard to read. I think it's uh, a bit more sort of chunky than it needs to be um so that's one that I tend to sort of recommend to people's YouTubes and then kind of referring to the book maybe habit by habit not read the whole book as a whole because it's a it is it is very um heavy in terms of theory um and I guess my favorite TED talk is quiet 
by Susan Cain, The Power of the Introvert. As the oh, the I love that one. Yeah, so as an extrovert, I, I watch it and I'm like, oh, this is also <laughs> true. Why have I not thought of it like this? Um, so I think I, I, I love ones that kind of come at the world in a very different way to the way I'd look at it. That's, I think, where, where you, you learn the most. Um, so I talk about that white gold black blue dress that we will see the different colors off in courses um so for me you know I'd be looking at the, the dress and seeing it the extrovert way and then there's a whole nother perception the introvert way and you're like oh yeah I never thought of it that way uh, so for me that's a good a good eye opener yeah. yeah and and I think the the great thing about having that self-awareness is what a powerful I mean it's annoying to start with because you're like oh now I've got now I'm aware you kind of can't be unaware once you're aware of like yourself and all of yourself the good the bad the ugly you can't get away from that that awareness is there every every time you say something you think straight after you think I shouldn't have said it that way or I should you know that once that self-awareness is there it's not going anywhere but it is such a powerful thing in that it does really give you this strategic tool to be able to go into any situation and say like, this is what I need, how I need this to go. What do I need to do? Putting the power back on you. What do I need to do to secure that outcome? How do I need to adapt? How do I need to think differently? Rather than just going in and hoping. And it's that's that empowering thing I'm talking about. It's just being you hold the control. You've got the power to go in there and change the way that you come out of there. Um, you know, if you're going into a meeting and you need to get something over the line, based on how you handle that situation will determine the outcome. And the idea that you hold those tools um, is so empowering. And I just think more of us need to kind of, if we get self-aware, and I'm still on a self-awareness journey, I feel like every time I think I know everything about myself, I'm like, gosh, someone will say something else about me. And I think, Oh, I've got to go deeper. I've got, I've, there's more to learn here. Um, but it's great because as soon as you know that you're not great with something, you can start to work on it. And then that doesn't become that thing that holds you back anymore. It actually becomes that thing that's liberating and that you can use it to your advantage. So, um, and it's not about changing. I think a lot of the time when we look at this stuff, people think that it's about changing you from one personality type into another or from being one way to another. It's not. It's just about refining who you are and being the best version of yourself. It's not about making you into somebody different. Yeah, yeah I think your point there about where you kind of pick things up, that's that's where the learning's happening, really. So so if you think, like, our mind has so many, so much information going through it all the time. So if you're looking for a new car, you're suddenly going to see that new car on the road a lot more often than you did the day before because your brain's now telling you that's important information, I'm going to give you that. Whereas the rest of the cars, it's just filtering out because you can't take it all in. So when you're trying to develop a new skill, you're going to pick up on yourself doing it. So for example, if you're trying to stop using the word like as much, you're going to find yourself using it all the time when you're putting things together because it's, it's in your mind, your brain's picking it up. Um, and and I think you know, this this is the progress. So if you think when you learn to drive, you often you go into your first lesson and you come back all smug like, yeah, look at me, I did really well. And then you get to kind of lesson sort of seven or eight and you feel like you're going backwards. You get really annoyed at yourself because you're forgetting how to do things. But actually, it's because you're learning. It's because you picked up a lot more information and you're now a, a, a bigger critic of yourself than you were at the beginning because you've got higher standards and higher awareness of what you should be doing. And then that is what allows you to develop that and progress into someone that can, can just go out and drive and not think about it. So so that kind of stage, it has to be there. We can't just go from not knowing something to doing it perfectly. We're going to get it wrong. And, and that sort of failure, and I think, you know, being comfortable with the word failure of it 
that's the learning. That's where the progress comes. Yeah, there's no such thing as failure, in my opinion. It's just you're just having to learn a lesson before you can go forward and then it's more useful to you. So I love that if you can learn something from it, it's not a failure. It's like a gift in that respect. And I think the good thing is that with learning, there's this na- there's this thing of like, we, I see this all the time with people when they're like, you know, if they've got a manager and they're like, yeah, but there's no point because my manager will always say this or they'd always do that. But actually, it learning and changing yourself is contagious. So if you try different things, people notice that. It makes people stop and think, hmm, like she didn't used to say things like that or, oh, she's speaking up more in meetings. And once you start doing that, it's amazing the impact that has on the people around you and how they start responding to you differently. So we can often feel powerless and feel like nothing I do will make a difference. But actually, there is something that you can do. And by actually just focusing on you, then people will begin to see that um, in the way that you're conducting yourself differently based on your own heightened self-awareness. So I love that. And that's another one of those empowering things that makes you think, I don't need to wait until my manager is that type of person. I can be this type of person, which will encourage that of my manager. And so it's just really nice to be able to flip that and sort of not wait for someone else to change, but change yourself first. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I often talk about you've got your job and you've got your career. No, and, and the two things go hand in hand, but they're not the same. So you might have a manager, for example, who's less interested in the development at that kind of point in time, but you've got a whole career. The same manager, is, even if you stay in the same company your whole career, which is, let's be honest, very unlikely, you're not going to have the same manager the whole time anyway. So framing your development around what your manager thinks is important is very short-sighted when you've got a whole career ahead of you and you're going to be you know, working with very different people throughout that career. So... Um, so I think kind of, you know, separating development, I'm, I'm always worried um, when, you know, hear comments from people as, oh, well, my manager hasn't kind of sent me a development plan. You think, well, it's great if they support your development. Fantastic. They don't need to. You know, and just because they're not doesn't mean that you shouldn't think it's important. So kind of giving people the help to run off and do things and develop on their own and trust that hopefully their manager is going to be on board with it, of course, but if they're not, that, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. There's a lot we can do by ourselves. Yeah. And finding those other people that can be that source of inspiration for you and not needing that to come from a management role, they can just become supervisory to you and just somebody that sort of approves your holiday and dishes out the work and whatever else. But if you need more inspiration, you're not getting it from a manager, find somebody internally or externally that you think, I like them or I heard them speak at something and I want to know more. I, I think I could learn from you. And you people love to talk about themselves. This is something I always say with networking. People love talking about themselves. They love sharing their experiences and their journeys. You will have no shortage of people if you reach out to them and say, I'd just love it if we could just have a coffee and you could just give me some pointers. They will love that. That strokes their ego. That gives you, like, you know, they want to talk about themselves. That gives you something back. Find those other people and don't, you don't need it to come from a manager. Um, it can be anybody. And it doesn't have to be someone you know. You know, you know, I often think now of like 
these people that I follow, like Simon Sinek and Brené Brown and Oprah Winfrey, these people are like my teachers and my mentors. I don't have to have that one-to-one conversation with them, but I feel like I do because they're a constant part of my life now. I'm listening to them frequently. I'm watching them frequently. I'm sort of immersing myself in that and what they're teaching me. And then I'm going away and doing something with it. But I think too often we can expect it to come from a source. And when it doesn't, we just think that's it, game over. And it's like we need to get more creative with where we find the solution if it's not coming from the most obvious place. Yeah, no, I love that. So the way we end every podcast is a piece of advice that you've you've been given that's helping you in your career. So can you share with us a, a, a kind of moment of wisdom that you've had from somebody else? Yes, so I... This one's always, I love this one because it is that literally that thing that keeps coming back and I always remember it. Um, I worked in banking and I was an executive assistant. So I looked after someone really senior in the banking industry. Um, And I remember I was facing quite a few problems like day to day with um, some of the other PA community. And I would come into his office at the end of the day and sort of just download and debrief and just giving the kind of like, this is what's going on. And I remember one, and I must have been doing it frequently. And I remember one day he turned around and said to me, have you got the solution? And I said, no. He said, have you thought about the solution? I said, no. He said, then go away. And then when you come in here with a problem, always have thought of the solution. And if you don't, haven't thought of the solution, you're not ready to talk to me about the problem. And so now problems and solution thinking go hand in hand for me. I'm not focused on the problem and getting myself bogged down with the kind of negativity of that, I'm like, okay, what's the solution? And sometimes the solution that I came up with wasn't the solution we went with. So after a conversation, we came up with a different or a better solution. But at least I'd shown that I'd taken that first step to thinking of something constructive to do with the problem. And that has never left me. I always do that now. So everyone, I think, in life, we can be faced with problems at work, at home, wherever, but if we focus on the problem, like you said earlier, when we're focusing some, on something, we see it more. So if you're focusing on a problem of being too busy, you're always going to feel too busy. But if we focus on the solution of how do we create more time or how do we use, make better use of our time, suddenly we start to see the opportunity in fixing the problem. And so that's just stuck with me forever. So yeah, that's the best advice. I love that. Thank you so much. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for your time, Emily. Now, if people want to follow thank up with you, you afterwards, uh, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? Uh, probably LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn Learning. Um, connect there. Um, yeah, it's probably the best way. Excellent. All right. Well, it's good to see you. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.